You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Best for Our Community Part 2, which is from our sermon series, Vision 2020. For more info, please visit creekside.org. And if you would take out your notes, uh, a lot of the scriptures are on there. I want to finish up what I started last week. And um, a couple of things. The first thing I said was about simplifying. We want to simplify where we're going, and we want to focus on the key ministry things. When you begin to be a focused person, a focused church, a focused business, what it's ultimately going to mean is, is you learn to say yes to this so you can say no to that. Or you learn to say no to this so you can say yes to that. That make sense to you? Because every yes becomes a no somewhere else and every no makes it possible to have a yes somewhere else. And I told you about the word that the Lord gave me uh, in the last year in Revelation 3.1, where he said, I know all the things you do. And he was really speaking to me about the church because I knew there were some things in our church that needed to shift. When we were sitting in a staff one time, we spent 35 minutes trying to figure out when we could, you know, uh, squeeze in somebody's celebration of life service. And there was other things that were happening. I did some of the surveys and we realized that of all the events that we've been doing, they really weren't producing anything or bringing anybody to Jesus. And so the Lord gave me this word and and, and after I started to think about it, his words were reputation. He knows what we're doing, but the word reputation and what I realized is reputation comes from people. They'll show up at an event, they'll applaud you, they'll say, great job. Uh, They might even say thank you for doing it, but ultimately we're doing all of these events and people are coming and it looks great, uh, but it's not moving our mission forward. What's our mission? It's to reach the lost, reach those far from Jesus, and it's also to build those who are found. The problem is, is churches have a tendency to lean into one of those a lot more than the other. And somehow I want to bring us back to the balance where we're building up those who are found and we're reaching out into the life of our community. Because this is uh, part of the thing. Activity isn't advancement. If life isn't coming in and to and through the mission, uh, then we're just involved in activities. And oftentimes when you're just doing things, you can feel good about doing good things, but good becomes the enemy of great And because everybody could be applauding and saying thank you and rah, rah, uh, sometimes that can keep you from really hearing the voice of God because you're listening to the applause of people. It begins to kind of drown out what God wants to do and a shift within what God wants to say and do in your church. And churches should be changing and moving in different dimensions because everything has a shelf life. We're not doing bad things. We're doing things with good intentions and good motives because we want to reach our community, but they begin to take a lot of time and energy. And so I sense the Lord saying, it's time. It's time to look in some different ways and to do some different things and to begin to prune. 
You know what happens when you prune. It begins to prune so you can make room for better growth, more blossoming. And so that's what we've been involved in a little bit in our church. Now, all of these things could probably get me fired, but that's all right. Because it's not real popular to do these things in churches. Most churches are like cruise ships. You know, you kind of get into it and it's just kind of comfortable and then you really don't want to change. But churches almost have to be more like PT boats where you're willing to change, change quickly. And I waited a long time. So the Lord, I sense he's saying, you know what, don't, don't, don't base your ministry and what you're doing on the reputation of the people around you and make sure that you're beginning to prune. Make room for different things for God to work and to do things. So uh, I, I want to pick it up today now with open doors. When I was a freshman in high school, because I played sports, I had uh, lunchtime with all of the upperclassmen, all of the prettiest girls and all of the biggest studs in the high school. And uh, one time, it was in the spring, I was in this area, and I had just bought this thing of ice cream, uh, swirly ice cream. And uh, I was, you ever, you ever walk, and while you're walking, you're eating, but you're kind of looking up? Well, I was in this area, there was a bunch of all these upperclassmen behind me, and then I was going to go out to where the, the low-life fresh, freshmen were, uh, out in this little quadrant area outside, because it was a spring day. And there's glass all around this area. So I'm walking and all of a sudden, I, I kind of look, just kind of glance up and there's this bright sunshine coming in. And I keep walking and all of a sudden, bam! Sorry. <laughs> In case you were falling asleep. Um, I, uh, I walked right in these sliding glass doors. And so there's all of this ice cream on my front and there's all this ice cream on the glass door. And all I remember, honestly, one of the three most embarrassing moments of my life. Behind me, all I heard was howling and laughing. And in front of me, all I saw was my friends laughing and falling off their benches. Would you agree that understanding and knowing open doors and closed doors is a pretty important part of your life? Or you could say, well, just pay attention where you're going. But open doors is an important biblical part. Because a lot of churches, including ours, any church, can begin to just walk into closed doors and wonder why God isn't doing things. Because God says, what I want to do is I want to open doors for you. This is what Paul says in Colossians 4, 2, and 3. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. And I want you to be watchful and thankful and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mysteries of Christ. The mysteries of Christ isn't some kind of a, ooh, we don't know what he's talking about. The mystery of Christ is simply the revealing and the unveiling and the understanding of God's redemptive purposes for his church and his people. The gospel. Second Corinthians chapter 2 uh, verse 12 says this, Paul says, now, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, I found that the Lord had opened a door for me. So you begin to see this motif where Paul says, you know what, wherever I went, wherever I traveled, I would pray that God would open doors for me in the city. And I prayed. 
that he would make it possible for me to speak. Uh, the, the picture, the metaphor of an open door is simply the opportunity that God gives us. He'll open a door, he'll close a door. But it's an open door that he says, I'm gonna give this to you so you can walk through. And as a church, I want us to be praying and saying, Lord, would you open some doors for us into the heart and into the life of our community? John the Revelator in John, in Revelation chapter three, verse eight, he, he says again, God says, I know your works. I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. But see, I have set before you an open door. No one's going to be able to shut it. You have a little strength. You've kept my word. You haven't denied my name. And this is what I think one of the things the Lord is saying to us. I, I've set some doors before you. I want to open the doors for you. How's that going to happen? I think because we've got to have a good theology for our city. What is theology? Well, it's theos. It's God. It's the study of God. You can have a theology of salvation. You have a theology of sanctification. You have a theology uh, for just about anything. But I want to talk about a theology for our city. Why are we talking about our city? Because when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, he says he's going to open doors and he's going to send us into this world, into where we live as an agent. Now you go, oh man, I don't, I don't have a robe. I don't have a clerical collar. I don't have a preacher suit. Good. Because he's sending you as an agent of him, not a church or not a, some kind of preacher thing. He says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. You're a school teacher. I'm going to send you as my agent in the schools. Oh, you work in an office. I'm going to send you to your office and you're going to be my agent there. Oh, you're a postman, postwoman. Oh, I'm going to send you out there so that you can share my life and just smile at people every time you see somebody on your route. Oh, you're a ditch digger. Oh, I'm going to send you as my agent there so that when you're digging that ditch, you're going to be able to smile and give the joy of my life. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. It's like God disguises us and he sends us to different places to be his agent. Jesus said it this way. In John 20, verse 20, he says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. These are the words of Jesus and his disciples. And he speaks this to them in the upper room after the resurrection. And it's kind of almost the gospel of John's version of the great commandment. We're sent by Jesus to carry on his work. Where is he sending us? I'll tell you where. Wherever we go, there you are. Sent. Wherever you go... There you are as a sent person. You are a sent person in this room today. That's why I often say, when we come here, do you think in terms of just showing up and getting, or do you come in here and say, I wonder if the, word, if the Lord might give me a word for somebody today. I wonder if there's somebody that I'm going to be able to really encourage because they just look a little down where it isn't just show up, but there's a purpose. You come as a sent one, just like tomorrow. You're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. You're going to go someplace. You're going to go to the grocery store. Can you begin, can we begin to think as a church, ah, I'm being sent. Well, what are we supposed to do? 
Well, he's sending us to do his work, to live out his will and his purposes, which ultimately includes, loved ones, making disciples, which is simply this, reaching out, loving those who are far from God, and building up those who are found in God. It's an outside and it's an inside job. But if we don't have a theology for that or an understanding of it, it probably isn't going to happen. Because all of these things, a vision in a church, a vision in in a business, it begins to leak out because people just are busy doing their things. If you look at the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Jeremiah who spoke before God to his people during Judah's exile in Babylon. Babylon. Now, this took place around 600 BC. And after the Jews had been taken into exile in Babylon, there were these false prophets that come and say, hey, don't get too comfortable. Don't worry about anything. You're going to get to go home pretty soon. And so God says to Jeremiah, would you write these things down? Because my people are going to be there for 70 years. That was prophesied. That was spoken. I brought them into exile and they're going to be there for 70 years. Don't let them listen and hear and be deceived by these false prophets. So this is what he writes in Jeremiah 29. Uh, Jeremiah speaks to the people of God who are in exile in Babylon. And he says, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your son and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters so that you may be increased there and not diminished. what's he saying? He's kind of building a theology for the city while they're there. You know what he's saying? He's saying, settle in. Don't live transient. Don't live away from what I've called you to be and to become. Settle in because you're going to be there for 70 years. And then in verse 7, he continues to write and he says, and seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to where I have called you into exile. Isn't that interesting? God called them there. And they're in exile. And he says, I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of your city. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, guess what? You will prosper. If you've ever been to a third world country, you begin to understand that. As the country prospers, as the city prospers, as the community prospers, those who live in it prosper. We see that in the United States. But you go to a third world country, that won't necessarily, you'll, you'll see how if that community isn't prospering, they won't either. So by God's leading, Jeremiah is saying, you are living in this foreign land, in a foreign culture. And the temptation would be for them to keep to themselves, to form an enclave, which is simply a place or a group of different people in character from those that are surrounding it. And those people in an enclave will begin to only look out for themselves. And Jeremiah is saying, don't do that. God tells them to become part of the city. And they are to work. And they're to pray. And they're to believe. And they're to engage in that city for the peace and the prosperity of it. Isn't it interesting that in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says to us that we uh, were aliens and sojourners in this world. He says, this isn't your final home. Those people in the book of Peter, they're going through uh, extreme persecution as the church of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, listen, that's, 
That's temporary. These people are in exile in a foreign culture. They're not probably treated really well. And the underscoring point is, guess what? You're just aliens and sojourners. You're traveling through. I find it interesting that he says that because that applies to us too in Peter as well. He says, how you live in the midst of suffering, how you live in the midst of difficulty is going to begin to shine and show who Jesus is in the midst of your culture. Isn't it interesting that they were in Babylonian captivity exile for 70 years? What's the average lifespan of most people? Eh, it's more now, but it's around 70, 80, 90 years. And Peter's saying, listen, you function there so that people can see Jesus in you regardless of what you're going through. 70, 80 years, you're going to be home, home with Jesus. The application is pretty obvious. God's put us where we are, loved ones, to fulfill his purposes while on earth. And that's why whenever we gather, whenever we come together, it's important that you don't just see church as this thing you just kind of go and gobble up and get from. But it's here where you encounter the living Christ. It's here where you get equipped. It's here where you grow. It's here where you build relationships so you begin to become ready to go out into the world. It's possible for Christ's followers to live in an enclave, a Christian bubble, where we don't engage the city or the people that we live, where we begin to develop a fortress mentality instead of having a force mentality that says when we go from here today, when we leave here, we're not going like, oh my gosh, we're going out into the real world, going to deal with real people. No, we go out as a force for Jesus Christ. It's almost as if, I'm, you know the time capsules they used to have? I think it was Contact that had these time capsules, had the red and, red and white capsules in them, little uh, pellets. You had taken, it was time released. See, it's almost as if we could see ourselves like that. Like this is the big capsule. And you and I are these little pellets. And as we leave here today, over time, through the course of this week, we become these little, little healing agents that are sent by God to go here, to go there, to go everywhere. It isn't like we stay in this bubble, in this time capsule. God says, no. I want you to go out. I want you to be time released with purpose. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand or prevail against it. I, I think hell wants to build walls around this church. I think, I think the devil wants to build walls around every church in our community where they begin to see programs. They begin to live just on the basis of everything is inward. So the world really has no opportunity to be touched by those people and they begin to come in and see the healing agent of Jesus Christ in and through our people. They don't see the unity. They don't see the growth in the community. They don't see the care and the fellowship. It seems like Jesus is really saying that hell is a gated community and it's all about building gates. It wants to build walls around the church. What's the church? What's the church? Us. It's people. What does that mean then? You know what he wants to do? He wants to build a wall around you. He wants to build a gate around you. So that you're not really seeing what's going on 
around you. It's just, you know, I just like my stuff. But if you have a gate, if you have a wall built around you, you won't see the needs of people. You won't see the needs of the people that are just really together and you think, wow, they're really together, but maybe they really aren't. Or you won't begin to, you'll be blind to the eyes of the people out there that are broken. Because one, you might say, oh, what could they ever need with Jesus? Or the ones that are broken, you'll say, well, I don't want to deal with them. If there's a gate around your life, you won't be generous with your life. Keep it to yourself. You won't be generous with your resources. You'll keep it to yourself. If there's a gate around you, you'll begin to live in fear because what are gates set up to do? It's kind of set up to keep people out. You'll walk outside of your gate and you'll never be able to look anybody in the eye that is bent for hell because you'll just want to be myself. See, Paul said in Ephesians 2, he said, Jesus, when he came and when he died on the cross, he came to tear down walls, to tear down walls of separation and enclaves between you and your community and ethnicities and genders. He says, I want you to be a uniter. I want you to bring people together. That's why he calls us and that's why he sends us. Why are we still on this earth? I think it's simply because when we get to heaven, we're not going to have any communication. We're not going to be able to reach people who are far from God. We're not going to be able to help people grow. God still has a purpose for every one of us. God is sending us and every Christ follower becomes a missionary. A missionary is simply a sent one. God says, I am sending my God's son, Jesus, into the world on a rescue mission and to rescue people. And then it says that Jesus, when he ascended, the Holy Spirit was sent and he came into us to empower us. And what does he do? He sends us into the world. See, here's what Jesus did with his disciples in Luke 10, one through four. He said, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and he sent them ahead in pairs to every town and place that he himself was about to go. He told them the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest, send out workers into this harvest. Now go because I am sending you like lambs among wolves. See, there's a sending motif there. Jesus asked his disciples to pray. When you pray, ask God to send workers in to the harvest field. What's the harvest field? It's out there. It's everywhere. Do you ever wonder what to pray? Do you ever like pray for three days in a row and then you go, oh, what do I pray for now? Here's another thing you can add to your prayer list. Pray that God would send forth workers into the harvest. And, and here's what I think happens. That when we begin to pray for something like that, usually it comes back to us. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm sending you. I'm sending you. 
Because while you're praying, there's probably going to be this deep conviction of, I got to go. Where's God sending you? Well, he's sending you here. He's sending you near. He's sending you far. But everything starts here. You're a missionary to your church. You're a missionary to your family. A missionary to your neighborhood. You're a missionary to your school. You're a missionary to your job. You're a missionary to the gym that you go work out in. You're a missionary in your city. Uh, I, I met this wonderful, wonderful missionary family last week and got to spend just a little bit of time with them, hear their story, their narrative of what God's doing in their life. And uh, it was uh, probably a man and his wife were probably in their mid-40s and they have, a, uh, I believe, a 16-year-old son, uh, about a 7-year-old son and a, and a daughter that's uh, about a year old. And all of a sudden, he just gave up his job. He was law enforcement over in the Santa Cruz area, or uh, Palo Alto, I believe. They live in the Santa Cruz area. And all of a sudden, they felt this calling to go. And so they quit their, he quit their job, and now they're, they're raising resources, and they're getting ready to go to Choma, Zambia, Africa. Now, what I'm going to say, don't let what I'm going to say in a minute diminish what I just said, because I go, wow. How many people can do that? How many people will do that? And not everybody should. Okay? I shouldn't. I know what my calling is. But I, I, I applaud that with, with uh, I just, there's an awe of me when people do that. But don't let what I just said be diminished by what I'm going to say. Most of us would say, wow, wow, that's God, and it is. But here's the deal. How many of us see ourselves as mission, missionaries in the United States? How many of us see ourselves as missionaries in our own city? How many of us see, see ourselves as missionaries sent ones to the people around us? Do you know that there are countries now sending their people who have come to Christ to our country to be missionaries? And we're so churched. I go, wow, that makes me scratch my head. But that's what other countries are now doing. How do you see your city, your community? This is how Jesus saw his. In Luke chapter 19, as he's coming in on this donkey into Jerusalem, uh, just hours before he's going to die, he stops, and as he approached Jerusalem, he looked over the city, and it says he wept over it. He just started bawling over it. And what he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you'd known this was your time, your day of visitation. Now, I'm convicted by that because I, I don't know when the last time was I wept over our city. But I want to get back to that. I want to have the heart for our city that Jesus has, and I love our city. But we got to remember that there are people that are going to hell. And I know that's not really, really popular to say, but it's true, and we can't forget that. Our call, our vision is to understand that we are being sent. It is being sent people here. 
Our goal is not to be the best church in our community, but it's to be the best church for our community. I'm I'm not asking us for it to be the biggest church. That has never been my goal. But I want to be growing. Because healthy things ultimately grow. Here's a question for you to think about. Would our community miss us if Creekside ceased being? Not you. Not would you miss us, but would our community out there miss us? See, I envision being a church that releases the gospel into the lives of people and through people in our city, in our community, that we're going to welcome everyone, no matter their story, their questions, what they wear, uh, even if you're really not into that much into church. I want people to see that we're just real regular people who are on this faith journey together, and we'll lock arms with anybody that will walk with us. That you can belong before you maybe believe. But ultimately, we want people to know that Jesus is the ultimate of our beliefs. See, you and I, loved ones, were sent to do good. Matthew 5, 16, Jesus, at the kind of the part of the inauguration of his ministry, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men and women, uh, that they may see your good deeds. And praise your father in heaven. Jesus told his disciples that they, we, are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And that we're not to hide our light. But we're to let it shine before men and women. To live out our faith in Jesus by doing good to others. You ever notice that when Christians do bad, God gets a bad rap? You ever notice that? Why, why is the church so negative? Because the ones that we, you know, that are so negative, they get spotlighted. But when we do good, then God gets a good rep. I know some of you are going, well, you know, God's bigger than anything we can do. That's exactly right. And I absolutely believe that. He could, he could save the world like that. But he didn't choose to do it that way. Don't you wish he would have? But no, he said, I'm going to send you. You're going to be, little Jesus says, you're going to be my hands extended to a world, and I send you. People often ask me about um, Facebook. How come you don't do Facebook? You want to know why I don't do Facebook? I don't like it. Here's why, or Facebook or whatever the other things are they do. Here's why I don't like it. Because people can say anything, do anything, and not be responsible for anything. And here's what really bothers me. I'm old enough, I can say this now. It really ticks me off what I see how Christians talk on there. And that's why I don't do it anymore, because I got tired of saying, are you kidding me? How many people, and if you do this, stop. Okay? Pretend like you're your dad. Go on there and complain. Go on there and rant and rave. Go on there and bellyache. Go on there and talk people down. Don't! Because you're giving the church a bad name. You're giving God a bad name. If they know that you're a Christ follower, it just doesn't 
look good. I thought I might get at least three amens on that. represent and I'm not talking about our I'm not talking about being perfect but I am talking about growing and thinking we represent the king of kings Jesus Christ the one we're trying to point people to true confession went to the dentist last week and my dentist is over in Lafayette it's coming out there's all this massive road construction and I pull into the crosswalk trying to get in because of all the congestion and uh, take a right. I'm going down Diablo Boulevard and there's a police that comes up behind me and I'm going. And um, didn't even think about it. I haven't had a ticket in probably 25 years. All of a sudden his lights go on. I go, I'm all right. He's probably going to give me a warning about something. So I have to drive a little further, find a side street. So I pull over and um, I pull over and he gets out. Did I tell you that I'm glad I was in Lafayette, not here? Um, uh, I could just see one of the policemen. Oh yeah, we got uh, Terry Riley pulled over and all of our law enforcement people go, well, maybe they would have gone, ah, let him go. No, Um, but I was glad it didn't happen here. And he comes over, he goes, you know what you did? I go, I really don't. He goes, well, you know, you're in the, you, you, you were kind of in the crosswalk and a person was trying to, did you see them trying to walk? Well, I said, yeah, I saw him step into it. He goes, could I have your license and registration and insurance stuff? And I'm fumbling around for it and I give it to him. He walks back and I'm thinking, oh God, just, you know, maybe a little warning. And he comes back and he says, sir, I'm going to give you a citation for that. And so he gives me everything back. I waited until I got everything. And then I just said, officer? He goes, yes, sir. I said, that just, I just want to say thanks for serving the community. You're welcome. Now, I, I know that makes me sound like, oh boy, you're so magnanimous. And here's the deal. Uh, 20 year, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, here's what I would have thought. <laughs> no kidding, I would have thought this. Why don't you go find a real crook? <laughs> you know? I'm here trying to save the world like you are in a different way. Uh, just, just a little bit of arrogance <laughs> that, that, that when you get older, it begins to kind of seep out, hopefully. And, but that's what I used to think. And now I just thought, you know, something the man's doing his job and suck it up, buttercup, and I'll go to driving school or whatever you do, court, whatever it is. But I'm not going to fight it because I don't even know what I did really, totally, truly. But he gave it to me. I just said, thank you. Because see, that's what I want people to know. I want people to know that even in difficult situations, we can still be gracious and kind. Because that's what the world needs to see. We need to, you know what? We need to make Jesus famous for good things, for who he is and for what he's done. Because everybody, if you are a Christ follower and you're in this room, you are sent and God has good works for you that will glorify him. You will either be a bridge builder or a wall and gate builder. And I know what I want our church to be. So here's where we're going. Let's get to a little more practical stuff. 
and I started on this last week, but we're going to still do some events. They just won't be as often. We're still doing crab feed because of what it does. But one of the things we're doing is we're moving our um, uh, spring May auction into our crab feed. And it's being purposeful. So if you're used to doing the auction and raising money for your kids, you're going to have to help out the crab feed team. And this is very purposeful because as I told you last week, we spent one time in a staff meeting, 35 minutes trying to figure out when we could do uh, a funeral for somebody. Because this was going on, that was going on, this couldn't be switched, that can't be changed. And so we're trying to say, Lord, you want us to have margin, not only in our lives, but in our calendars. And so we're not going to have all of these big events. Now, now just so you don't, somebody will come up to you, because I, I said this last service, there could be a time where we decide last minute or two months in advance, we're going to do a big event for something because that's what we feel like the Lord wants us to do. So don't go, oh, I thought you were never going to, no, I didn't say never, I just said we're cutting back. We're not looking at big events because we have seen that they really don't bring people here and tie people into Jesus. We have become a good event church. Everybody likes us, everybody applauds, but nobody moves. I shouldn't say nobody. Seldom do people move toward Jesus in the last 10 years. There's some. But not for the time we give it, not for the energy we put into it, not for the resources that go out toward it. So what do we want to do? We want to be, we want to be people that are bringers and includers and inviters. But it's only because we are stepping into their lives and we're loving them, we're caring for them, we're loving God because we now have time to make sure that we got time to spend with him and be refreshed by him and renewed in him so that when we meet with people, it's not like at our events. What do we usually do in our events? We would oftentimes be so busy doing, 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 we could never connect with people. Jesus is calling us to reach our city, our community. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I want to do what Jesus did. I want, to help. I want our church to begin to see a need and fill it. I want us to see people that need uh, assistance. And I'm not just talking about money and resources and goods, but if that's part of it, that could be. But I want us, I want us to move from these four walls and get back into our city. Love people where they are, not where we want them to be. So what are some of these things? Let me just quickly give you some ideas. This isn't it. Uh, remember John F. Kennedy in 1962? Some of you were going, John who? <laughs> you know? Uh, but those of us who are a little older, John F. Kennedy in 1962, he gave a statement. He said, we're going to put a man on the moon before the end of the decade. It was uh, uh, July 20th, 1969, that that happened. Just squeaked it in. But you know, when he made that statement, everybody goes, oh, how are we going to do that? Oh, man, everybody has to start scrambling. But you know what? He cast the vision, and it began to happen. And that's what I'm doing today. I'm casting a vision for what I want to see happen. And we're going to figure it out. We're going to work on it. And a lot of these things that I'm going to talk about, some of you are already doing them. But we want to become just a little bit more intentional about how they worked out. I want to bless our city. I want to bless our city servants and leaders. I had the privilege of being invited to be involved in a city happening 
couple months ago now. I have some relationships there, and I want to bless them. I've been in communication with, uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful police chief, Chief Sapal. And um, I thought after I did this thing, I said, you know, I want to bless our MPD department. And so I emailed them and said, hey, could we do something for you? Could our church just bless you and bring a meal down there for you and all your staff? And they began to say yes. And then it was shortly after that that it was, uh, we had these fires and everything. And I don't know about you, but you've seen these people that are exhausted, these EMTs and these firefighters and policemen that are just exhausted. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open it up for EMTs and uh, police as well as firefighters in our community. And uh, so I'm in communication with them to figure out when and how it's going to be done. I don't know if we're going to do food trucks down there. I don't know if I'm going to have it catered, but we're going to do something. And then I'm going to invite you to come, whoever would like to come, not the whole church probably, but I'm going to invite you to come and just communicate and thank these people for what they've done and what they do. And we just want to bless them and let them know in our community that we are glad and thankful for them in our city. We're going to continue to do coaching of youth sports and activities. Many of you are already coaching, and I applaud you for that because you get to be a light on that team. And when I say be a light, I'm not talking about you got to preach to everybody, but sooner or later, hopefully there's communications about that God comes up. Um, And because of this other thing that I was involved in, kind of opened up a door a little bit to the Boys and Girls Club and engaging with them. So at Christmas, we got a team of people that are already talking to them about for two days, we're going to help the Boys and Girls Club of Martinez financially and then with people to be able to minister to the kids that they're bringing in. And then we're going to say, okay, Lord, what is it that we can do to begin to leverage that relationship? See, here's what I'm believing. It isn't up to Creekside to try and do all of these things and figure out how to do them. Let's lock arms with our community so that we begin to be the light that comes in to their areas. So we're not trying to figure everything out. We're just saying, you know what? We're here to lock arms and help you. That'll save us a lot of time. Save us a lot of horsepower. And it says to our community, we're not just over here trying to do our own thing. How about serving our neighbors? A couple of guys that I know, they have elderly neighbors and they visit them and they help them with home repairs and they, and they go over and they take in their, they take their garbage in and they take it out again and they uh, give them rides to places. Wow, what a gift. How, how are you serving your neighbors? I want to look at ways that we can engage our neighbors. I've thought about, you know, we don't do the uh, trunk or treat anymore. What what if, what what if we had block parties? What, What if families, we gave some kind of intentional way to set up block parties in different places around our community and a couple of families that are close together, they just got together and they had a big party and they were couple of one house or neighbors and they, and they did something like pass out candy together, had a barbecue beforehand and they just built life beyond hi, bye, see you later. 
But what about volunteering for local service organizations, people? We got people in this church that are involved in and engaged with Young Life, which is a, a parachurch ministry that's trying to reach young people within our community. See, we're not called to compete with them. We are called to complete them. See, that's what Jesus is always wanting. He wants to unify. He wants to bring people together. So what if we use this time to say young life because we have one of our people in here that's heavily invested in it. What can we do to help you? What can we do to partner with you? What can we do to fulfill God's purposes for you? Maybe we be the, maybe we're the church that that organization files kids into. Maybe we're not. But we still, because we're kingdom-minded, we serve with them. How about uh, Contra Costa Food Bank? They're always needing help. What about hospice? Powerful ministry to people. What if we have people that say, man, I have a heart for the dying. What about a local veterans group? We're talking about that. Have a ministry for veterans in our community. What about if we serve at our schools? How many times do parents complain about this, about that? Oh, our school doesn't do that. Our school does this. Just teachers that way. What if, what if instead of complaining, we prayed? Well, what if this? What if every one of our schools that has two or three Families that go to those schools. What if those families got together, those adults, and once a month went to that school before it opened or after it closed, and just once a month spent 30 minutes praying over that campus? I got a friend who is a pastor down in Santa Clarita that I, you know, I just touched base with him. So I just want you to know we're praying for you and if there's anything I can do, let me know or help or whatever. I found it interesting that every student that I saw or read about from Santa Clarita, here was their, here's what they basically said. I can't believe it happened here in our little town, our wonderful school. That's what we would say. I can't believe in our community. So what if we get a little proactive what if we begin to have parents that we're not going to complain, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for God's protection on our schools. We're going to pray that our kids are a light to this school. We're going to pray, God, give us opportunities as parents to be able to come and engage in those schools. What if? If we believe prayer is important, shouldn't we be praying for our schools? And instead of trying to help 10 schools financially and giving them a pittance, what if we say, God, who do you want us to reach? Give us two or three schools that we can begin to be a missionary to. And we focus on that and we do everything we can for that school in trying to spread ourselves so thin with 10. And we just make that school or those schools, that's our mission field as schools. It's so much easier to reach a boy or a girl than it is to mend a man or a woman. What if there was a parent's partnering in prayer? 
We got Passion for the Streets, which is Eve Cameron's ministry. And she's expanding to not just getting kids off the street, but to help with feeding and showering homeless people in Martinez. She also works with loaves and fishes, and we're trying to get some teams together uh, to do cooking uh, and transporting meals on Friday morning. And then also, uh, they serve a meal on Thursday evening. They want to get groups to come in that can actually even give a testimony or speak to the people while they serve and feed them. What if Creekside became an incredible light down there with people? Yvonne's going to have a gathering called Cookies for Clothes, where she should give you some cookies, you bring clothes. Why? Because she wants to collect clothes in her ministry for the homeless, kids, parents, adults. I have an idea about homeless. How many of you are tired of homeless situation? I'm not saying tired of the people. I'm saying you're tired of it. How many of you feel hopeless about it? I do. I was driving with Trina the other day, and I said, you know what? All I see wherever we go, Concord, Martinez, in the area, I just see more and more homeless. Jesus said, you're always going to have the poor. But we see so much. We see the intensification. We see the, uh, the, the growing uh, uh, mental imbalances, physiological imbalances, mental illnesses that feed into that and drug addiction. What are we going to do? The government can't fix it. Well, let's build apartments and let's house them. Well, what's that going to do? First of all, there's going to be people that won't want to go there, or we're just going to add more to the process because, hey, free housing or some kind of thing sounds good. Not all will respond that way, but you know what I'm saying. I look around and I go, what can we do? It's overwhelming. And if we give money, that's all we're doing is we're giving money and it's like a black hole. Just get sucked into it. So here's my idea. What if we took a portion of our harvest offering for the next so many years? What if we found somebody that we could team with or somebody's businesses, people that we could uh, team with that have resources? And we find somebody that's a professional and we say, would you go find us one homeless person that wants to get out of it? That, the, 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 that they generally are able to work and think at a level where they could get out of where they are because ultimately they want to. And what if, what if for a year or eight months, we put our resources together with somebody else and we had one person or maybe two And we begin to work with them. We teach them about finances. We house them. We feed them. We train them. And we just sit there and we pull them out. One person. Because we're not pulling many out now, are we? No, we're just, we're just kind of, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way. We're throwing money. We're just, we're just trying to figure what are we going to do? Mother Teresa, I love what she said. She says, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. There's, there's a... There's a big ocean out there, and we're only a drop. 
But the ocean isn't the ocean without our drop. And I know, you, you, you think about it. You tell me who's going to solve the homeless problem in six weeks, six months, six years. Oh, you're being a pessimist. No, I'm not. So here's the call. What if Creekside invested and we found one person and then maybe it begins to grow and pretty soon we're saving, we're pulling three people out. And then maybe we get more people say, let's do, and now it's five. And then in 10 years, it's 50 people that we've helped. Does that make sense that it's kind of better than what we hear and see now? I don't hear of anybody coming out. And I'm thinking, what can I do? I don't want to just send money. I want to get my hands dirty. I want to find people in here that I know that could help with financial peace and take them through a course. There's people that teach them how to do a resume and we could house them and we could feed them and we can say, here's the deal. We want you at the end of this year, eight months, whatever it is, you're going to help us get somebody else and bring them out. I want us to be open and work with the jail systems. We support Bay Area chaplains. I wanted to see if we could actually get into the jails, but it's too, it's really difficult. So, but here's what we can do. We can minister to the spouses and to the children, especially at holiday times. They get forgotten. In May, we're going to do a compassion weekend. Not because that's what we're shooting for, for to do all of our stuff. It's just going to be every year. I want to begin to emphasize May days where we come on one of those Sundays. That's the reason we're, de- we're, we're kind of not doing the auction this year. I want that to be a month that we focus on doing something. We come to church on a Sunday morning and we celebrate and we get our old shirts back out that said Creekside has left the building and we go into our community because we've got things set up well in advance, but we go serve our community for three or four hours. And people say, ah, oh, that's a church. Isn't it Sunday morning? Yeah, that's where we're supposed to be at times. I'm part of the baby boomer generation. There's a lot of you that are baby boomers. We need, you're getting old. I'm not, but you are. (laughs) I still got my hair and I can grow here and everywhere else I shouldn't. But we're getting older. And we need to begin to think about not only the people in our church that are seniors, but those that are out there. What if we begin to establish some things that we can minister to those people when they lose a spouse? Marriage mentoring. Oh, God knows we need that. That we could have such a program here, not a program, but an organic thing where we get people that have good marriages and they say, I'll meet with anybody once a month, twice a month to help them. And we let it be known out there. You've got friends that their marriage is tilt. And you can say, I got some people that can meet with you. I moved a while back and we got a county juvenile hall within a mile of our church. I've never seen it. Take that back. I've seen it but I've never seen it. 
What if we get people to say, what is it that we can do to serve there? Maybe it's just bringing bags of toothpaste, toothbrushes and goodies or whatever else and a Bible. But what, what, here's this thing. I've never heard of anybody doing anything there. It's so easier to reach a teen than it is to mend a man or a woman. I got to be done. But this is where we're going, loved ones. Here's my closing. How's your love for God? You will never love people if you don't love God. Is it growing? And most of us would say, ah, it could be better. Okay, let's grow together our love for God. That's when we come, we focus on Jesus, his love for us and how much we love him. Because when you see how big Jesus and great Jesus is, it'll begin to shake you to the moorings of who you are. How's your love for people? Most of us would probably say, could be better. Because we drive by and we look cynically, we look sarcastically at people, at ethnicities. No. Those are God's people. I'm convinced greater things can happen. You want to grow in Jesus, then begin to see people as he does. That'll be almost as important as any Bible study you do. And that's what we're taking all of our ministries. You want to be in ministry here? And we're going to learn to serve our community.